the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. We've got a lot to cover. And please, don't forget to visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. And uh, you'll follow all the interviews we have, these great interviews, as well as sign up there for the daily email. It's called What You Need to Know, The Daily Wink. And uh, that's what we also do at the beginning of the show on this first segment. It's called The Wink, What You Need to Know, W-Y. And uh, we'll cover some important stuff in that daily email. It comes out Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. You get a couple of key links, a couple of key points, and uh, I think you'll be well served. Upwards of 40,000 people are getting that uh, email uh, in their inbox Monday through Friday. So go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there. Okay, let us cover what I think is the most important story, and it's not Liz Cheney. And uh, later on in the program, we'll talk a little bit about gas prices and a little bit about uh, uh, what's happening in Israel. But I want to talk about what I call, and I've talked before with you, about lawfare lawfare. And let me set this up. One of the people that I have been so interested to get to know on the radio show is David Horowitz. David Horowitz, he's in his early 80s now. He's written dozens of books. A couple of the books are memoirs, which are just stunning to see his career. But a lot of the books are what I call a see and explain see and explain books. He sa- he tells us what he sees and then explains what it means. Because his perspective is one of a man who started out his life as a far, he called a Marxist, a far left radical, a Marxist radical. And he left that movement and over 65 years ago and became a conservative. And over the years, he's written about what he sees and what it means when he sees the communists, when he sees the liberals, when he sees the press. And he's really good at it. And he's really good at it. And he's got a new book out. And his new book is on the totalitarian left. And I'm going to talk to him. I think I think we'll talk Friday this week. Sometime this week, we'll get him on the radio show again. But I've, I've loved talking to him because he sees and explains like nobody else in this country right now. See and explain. That's what his one of his expertise. Well, he wrote a piece over at frontpagemag.com. I think it posted in the last couple of days, and he's describing how in the New Republic on the front page, excuse me, on the cover story of the New Republic, two of his former friends have done a quote unquote book review of his new book, but it's really a personal attack. And he says how these people, even though they went on other ways in terms of politics, they stayed friendly, not anymore. Uh, but he goes and describes in his piece, it's on frontpagemag.com, I'll put it up on social media. He walks through how not only do they attack him personally, not only do they put words in his mouth, they, they basically impute on him anything that they disliked about Trump or anybody else, but they go even further than that, and that, that's a lengthy, that, as, as David Horowitz describes it, that's a, he, he contrasts, he shows where they made it up, where they are imputing to him what he doesn't say, you know, all kinds of things. But what I want to talk about is how they finish this, again, major publication, New Republic, major cover story, 
And they finish by calling for the government to act against David Horowitz. So it's not enough to disagree on the issues, to disagree on what the book's about, to disagree on Trump. Now you have truly radicalized people in a major publication going about calling for big government to act. And you say, well, Ed, that sounds familiar. The narrative machine we've been talking about, big tech, big government, excuse me, big tech, big media, and big government, it, it, it's used, big tech, big media, big, uh, big government, to target those people. But it's getting more and more brazen. It's, it's, not, it's not even like hidden behind a sheen of, of, of the, because there's no allegation of wrongdoing in anything that, uh, that Horowitz says. But what they basically say is we don't like what he says so much that we want to tell the government, investigate him. Think about that. Now, there were supposedly blacklists in Hollywood for, say, communist writers, but it was done by uh, a private individuals. It wasn't the government targeting, at least in terms of blacklists. Now we have you're not you're not blacklisted. You're whitelisted. You're you're not even whitelisted. You're 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 black identified. I can't I can't do that. I'm making a mess of this. You're put in a target because they disagree with you. Now, you say to yourself, well, lawfare, Ed, and I said, look, I would tell you the most egregious example of the law being used in a type of warfare was what was done to General Flynn. You know, he was, they used the government to target him. The FBI sent in, as Comey said, he knew they had a disorganized White House transition. They sent in the FBI, ha ha ha. The FBI kept terrible records and rewrote the, the records of the interviews, ha ha ha. Then they put it into the court system and the court system and the Department of Justice, they twisted and, and, and pulled and, and made the Flynn family a target, ha 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 ha. They, they were incredible, right? They were incredible. This was incredible. And then the justice system itself, Judge Sullivan, using his own preferences against Flynn and his family. Extraordinary, right? That's lawfare. But what I want to do is move you down the line. They're doing the same thing with the January 6th, quote unquote, murderous insurrection, which was neither murderous, they call it armed murderous insurrection, neither armed, excuse me, not even neither, wasn't armed, wasn't murderous, wasn't an insurrection. But the power of the big tech, big media to set the narrative, and here comes big government underneath. There was testimony before the Congress, I I'll get it a little bit wrong, but the, the gist of it was that the FBI, I think it was the FBI, said hundreds of agents were up on January 6th on Capitol Hill by then. President Trump, it was revealed, called out 10,000 National Guard himself to try to make sure there wasn't any violence. Mm -hmm. So, that, But it doesn't matter what the truth is. What matters is big government was weaponized, and the Department of Justice and the lawyers and the prosecutors in D.C. targeted all these people, raided people's homes. You know, we can go through this over and over again. Roger Stone is another one targeted terribly. At a certain point, what you start to say and see, you know, again, back to Horowitz, uh, you know, see and explain, it, you see what they're doing and you can explain what's happening. But here's where it gets worse. Because if Flynn was targeted in the Obama years by Susan Rice, she's back in power. Lois Lerner was targeting Tea Party folks in the Obama years, we know that. And the, but the people higher than the Lois Lerner, Susan Rice, uh, the others, are back into power. And now they're being even more brazen. And the reason why they can be more brazen about targeting Americans is what? It was what? Because they got away with it. They targeted the American people and they got away with it. They made clear that there was a double standard for Hunter Biden and whatever. I don't even know what he might have gone on. There was a total double standard on that compared to, uh, to, to, uh, to uh, uh, Mike Flynn, General Flynn. 
And then we have, a couple of nights ago, Liz Cheney stand up. And just watch how they do this. She stands up and says, I am the one standing up for the Constitution. Everybody who disagrees with me is against the Constitution. What? The only thing I've heard people say is they don't have confidence in the elections. And, and lots of people on the left, 33% of Democrats agree with that, 71% of Republicans. But if you go back and look at the history, and there's lots of this on the websites, you go out and see, there were plenty of Democrats. In fact, Hillary said she had a problem with the election in 2016. Nobody said she was out of line. Well, I mean, lots of us did, when, especially when the Mueller report showed it was nothing. But lots of people have had concerns. That doesn't mean that Liz Cheney gets to say you're extra constitutional, and therefore you should be the ones who are targeted. And let me be clear, she didn't quite say targeted, but she did say that, you know, we're the ones we're the ones that are on the wrong side of this. And she's the arbiter. And again, what you see is the powerful rallying the wagons to protect each other. And if you're Clapper or Comey or McCabe or uh, or Brennan, you'll be rewarded with big uh, jobs on the big uh, networks. You won't be criticized. You know, there was about 150 admirals and generals a couple days ago wrote a letter saying, we think the country's at a real troubling uh, moment. We're worried about what's going on. We have concerns about the election, about transparency, about the presidency, about what they're doing at the border. And what you know what those guys and gals were criticized for? They were being political. But meanwhile, McCabe and Comey and Brennan and Clapper and Wesley Clark and anybody else can be as political as they want. That's what they that's what they think they can do. The reality is this. We know what we're seeing. What you need to know right now is we're we're seeing more and more brazen efforts to use big government against the people. And it should be a cautionary tale to see the new republic and, the, and, and people in, in main uh, uh, big media calling for the government used against a guy like Horowitz. It's extraordinary to see. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And, you know, I, we've been talking a lot about what I call the narrative machine, and you all have heard it. You know, big tech, big media, and big government kind of deciding on a truth and then shoving it down the American people and the world's uh, our throats and, and changing our minds using uh, neuroscience as well as brainwashing techniques and then, of course, the power of the uh, government. Well, one place in the big tech fight that has been fascinating to watch that they haven't been able to stop what I would say is a somewhat, uh, I don't know, revolutionary movement, because there is a book that is out that was published uh, by uh, two, two authors, co-authors, Steve Deese, who's been on the program before, but one of his colleagues, he's a writer and contributes on his show, helps to do his show over there. His name is Todd Erzin, and Todd also writes, he's written in the Des Moines Register, America, American Greatness, and they have a book. That's called The Faucian Bargain, The Most Powerful and Dangerous Bureaucrat in American History. And it I'll be darned, it's like a best bestseller. And I thought they were shutting down anything. You know, remember Abigail Schreier wrote a book on the cult of transgenderism? Her book was sort of, uh, not if not blacklisted, it was sort of, sort of darklisted so you couldn't find it, you couldn't order it, and on and on and on. So this book, it continues to sell. So I'm very grateful that Todd has joined us uh, to be on the program. Uh, Todd Erzin, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? It's good to be here, and we owe uh, the people out there to be persistent because once they saw this book was uh, popular, uh, they rerouted us so many times, and people have found themselves looking for furniture and other things before finding the book. So it's the people who have been very persistent. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you I did read a, a tweet or something on. So uh, flesh that out for me. The book comes out. Suddenly it's selling all the time. And they did start to give everybody the runaround. Give me give me some uh, context for that. They did. Well, we got all kinds of uh, people emailing us saying that they were ended up looking for uh, other books, looking for furniture, you know, nonsense like that. So we decided to turn the tables and we actually had a lot of our followers. They, they buy extra books and they sent the books directly to Fauci's office himself. So hopefully he has like a hundred of these books just laying around. <laughs> well, that's interesting. You know, I, I should, and Steve, you should share this with Steve. Again, we're talking with Todd Erzin, whose uh, book is uh, a bestseller and it's called The Fauci and Bargain. Fauci, of course, Fauci. Uh, Fauci and Bargain, uh, playing off of the Faustian bargain. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, too. Uh, you can find it anywhere books are sold. But that's a kind of an interesting uh, thing. Tell Steve, the, the Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, when she did A Choice, Not an Echo, one of the things that she did was she made the book the size to fit in an envelope. And they had hundreds and hundreds of uh, uh, copies of the books sent to Republican congressmen at the time, congressmen, House and Senate members. Uh, and it might have been some women in there, so members of the Congress. And, uh, and, and they got hundreds of them. So that's a great, uh, great thing you did. All right. Let's turn to this. Um, let's turn to the book for a second. In at the beginning of the book, you both reference the, the in, again. It's the Faustian bargain that Eisenhower warned, sort of famously, uh, about allowing uh, control to be sort of given over to. At the time, I think the phrase that's always used is the uh, military-industrial complex. But you guys sort of right. broaden that to talk about. Tell, to walk us through that warning and why it fits what you're saying and, and how it's so important. Well, you and your audience are going to get this because you already laid the uh, groundwork for this with your notion of the the narrative machine. This book is absolutely about Fauci and it is about COVID. But more than that, it is about this expert class of bureaucrats that isn't just at the federal government. It's at every layer, your school, all those school districts and wealthy districts and the very poor districts that wouldn't let anybody go back to school. This expert class that has taken over our lives and we were never designed to operate on cruise control like that. We, the people, unless we take back our duties as citizens, will always be manipulated by a group who knows they can get away with it for whatever reason they have. Uh, power, money, riches, fame. It's happened at every segment of our society. Uh, right now we're dealing with health care, but did you think you were going to be spending the last five years talking about the gender wars? What's a man? What's a woman? That's because we <laughs> right. have surrendered all of our common sense, and we've done it as the most educated, and I use that in their quotes, but the most educated society ever in the history of man in terms of the most people who spend time in something called education from preschool through 12, a large percentage of society goes on to college, but we are far dumber and we're bigger suckers than the agrarian, uneducated society that ultimately founded this country. We're talking with uh, Todd Erzin, and he's one of the uh, folks that, that uh, uh, puts together Steve Deese's show. And at Deese Online is where, D-E-A-C-E, is where you can find uh, Todd. And uh, and the book, of course, is The Faustian Bargain. Um, be, be, I'll get to the book in a moment. I want, But what was the biggest surprise reaction? Did you did you find that a whole bunch of people that are totally, you know, Fauci fans, like, rose up angry? Did you find that a whole bunch of people, I think I know that this was true, I saw some of the tracks in it, a bunch of people that were waiting for someone to say it said, oh, my gosh, thanks. Somebody said it. I mean, give me give me a sense of the reaction to book. You know, you write a book. And by the way, the other thing I should tell you, <laughs> I should make sure to, to tell you that uh, Phyllis used to say is half of a book is the title. It's a great title, uh, uh, Todd, you know, the Fauci and bargain. Uh, but what was 
was the reaction? And, and how did you guys sort of ride that reaction? I know you got a lot of positive attention, but it must have been a, a quite, it must, I'm sure it's a, quite a, a narrative of the key of this moment. Well, there's two reactions. I've done maybe two dozen. The book's been out for about a month and a half. I've done at least two, uh-huh. uh, two dozen of these. With I, Without exception, I'm amazed. I thought I'd kind of have to meet people halfway. Almost everybody uh-huh. is done with Fauci and, and clearly has been for quite a while. I, I That is a blessing I did not expect. It, because me, Steve, and our producer, Aaron, we're three guys in a room doing this show. And you never, we have mm-hmm. great listeners. They reach out to us in a lot of ways. But I did not fully expect that people are that ready to fight this thing. And then on the other mm-hmm. side, the, the mainstream media, that we've been memory hold. People don't even talk of us because we it's only a 180-page book that we rushed out in paperback but it's got 200 footnotes. It's meant to be a weapon of facts, and people just clearly mm-hmm. don't want to me- mess with it. They want to memory hole it and just make it go away. Again, we're talking with uh, Todd Erzin, uh, half of the uh, the co-author with the book with uh, Steve D. So the Faustian bargain, and uh, the, the full title is The Most Powerful and Dangerous Bureaucrat in American History. Um, his position in government, you know, in a certain way, you, you describe and could describe that he holds a senior position, but not just in government, because 40 years ago, that senior position wasn't as influential. Um, by the time you get the tentacles uh, of government into so many aspects of life, um, you know, you have this extraordinary uh, power. However, he also was able to ride the sort of fear wave up. And even President Trump had to sort of deal with him and not throw him off the stage. It, it, that, that's got to be one of the more extraordinary things about this, this bargain, as you point out, that, 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 that the, moment, the moment captured all this bureaucratic growth that put him in a position of unique power. But it also the media allowed this sort of rise up that gave him authority nobody's ever seen. Well, the question is why that fear wave came when at the outset in January of 2020, before it had come here, we knew of the stories coming out of China uh, and Mm -hmm. Italy. At that point, he said this was uh, only going to be a bad flu for most people. And he was right. He said this thing was not going to spread asymptomatically for the most people for the most part, because of what we know of 100 years of immunology. He was right. He said masks weren't going to work. He was right. And then he changed his tune. And that's the fear you're talking about. What I think he got afraid, and Steve and I think he was afraid of, we have a whole chapter in this about the Wuhan lab. And Tucker Carlson uh, has come out with this. Uh, Steve Hilton has come out with this. Uh, the former CBS reporter whose name has just escaped, Cheryl Atkinson, is, has come out with this. And more and more and more, we know that, he, yeah, you, he didn't have any influence that we knew of. But back uh, in uh, 2014, uh, he was uh, part of uh, funding that lab to, uh, and uh, gain-of-function research there. Uh, and, and even mm-hmm. Barack Obama was starting to get concerned about it. It was suspended for a while. And then in 2017, it was started up again, likely with Fauci's knowledge for, quote-unquote, national security reasons. Who knows what that means? Uh, Maybe because Trump was president and he decided he needed to take him out. I don't know. But that fear and and, uh, Fauci being worried about what uh, he knew, when he knew it, and who was going to find out about it is as likely a scenario as any for why Dr. Fauci has been in our face with this fear porn for more than a year now. 
Again, we're talking with Todd Erzin, and just I just have time for one more question, Todd. And again, I'll make sure to put the book up on social media. Congratulations on it again. Uh, the book is The Fauchine Bargain. Um, the the uh, do you think? And and you know, recently Rand Paul talked about this with uh, you know with Fauci, yeah. and Fauci was defensive. Uh, and I know this is something that you you guys in your in your program, Steve, talks about, but. Do you think we'll ever get to the bottom of this? I mean, you know, you say it's memory hold and, and God, but some things you just wonder, will we ever, will we be talking about this in 50 years and wonder exactly what, I, I, is there, who gives you hope that you can get to the bottom of it? Anybody? I think we will get to the bottom of it, but I don't think we'll have any accountability for it. That's my, because that's the problem with this extra class. There's never any accountability. These people are wrong all the time, but we're too addicted as a culture and a conservatives as much as anybody else to our comfort. We just, we just want to rush back to whatever we call normal. We, but I call it the gated community effect. I have news for you. We're not going back to normal. Rahm Emanuel's thing about never let a good crisis go to waste. That's what gender wars were. That's what COVID is. We're going to move on to the next thing unless we the people stop bottom lining everything with our comfort and start bottom lining things with our liberty and justice. Well, well said, Todd. And I think, um, you know, I, I think you're on to something. I guess the question is, you know, what as much as we saw things change one direction, you got to hope and pray that uh, it'll come back and uh, that the people will we the people will uh, push to get that done. All right, Todd, I got to run. You know how radio works. Uh, Todd Erzin, the book is The Faucian Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. Uh, Steve Deese and Todd put this book together, as he said, put it out happily. It's got a huge audience. People are reading it. They're following through. I think, uh, again, I, I do hope we get to the bottom of it. I, I wonder, as you point out, if we'll ever have accountability. But thanks very much, Todd. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. Don't forget, I'll put this interview and other interviews over at ProAmericaReport.com. You can always go check them out. Take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have, I, this is this is a, a segment I've been looking forward to. Uh, our next guest is uh, Mary McAllister, and she's a senior litigation attorney at the Child and Parental Rights Campaign. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, but I, ha- I was clued into this because Judith uh, Reisman uh, passed away recently, and she was someone who the late Phyllis Schlafly, my boss, had liked, admired, and known, uh, cited her work. Uh, Dr. Reisman spoke at Eagle Council. I went back to look in 1994. She gave a, uh, uh, a talk that was called Where Did Sex Education Come From? Um, and she also, as Phyllis Schlafly had done with Kathleen Sullivan, who we talked to every now and then, uh, they had started the abstinence program. And so Judith Reisman had an incredible uh, career in life. And her um, she has there's the Reisman Institute, uh, which is out there. And so there was a piece I ran into and also... Overlapping Austin Roos and his lovely wife, Kathy Cleaver Roos, were in, in this uh, article I found were praising Judith Reisman. So I said, let's get Mary McAllister and talk about her life and uh, what, what she did and what she meant and also how she died. So uh, Mary McAllister, a senior litigation attorney at the Child and Parental Rights Campaign. How are you today? Thank you for joining the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to talk about Judith and her and her legacy. Uh, so I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to 
talk to me about that. Yeah. So tell so, so tell me about tell me about your work and and tell me about how uh, you know you knew her and what how they overlap and how this um this this set of issues you know um we've we've had a number of guests on that have and the late Phyllis Schlafly wrote about the the impact of of uh, on families of so many things that are happening. So talk a little bit about uh, Judith and and then also your work, please. Well, you know, Judith um, obviously was was unique. She was one of a kind. Uh, She, um, like many of us, uh, came into these issues um, from from a personal tragedy. Her her daughter um, was raped by a boy upstairs uh, when she was age Hmm. 10. And, uh, of course, that was devastating, as it would be for any mom. Uh, but what was really devastating to her as much as that was the fact that when she talked to other people about about it and, and was seeking advice, like from, from trusted aunts or uh, just friends, they said, well, you know, Judy, um, you know, children are sexual from birth. And, and so, you know, it, it's, she probably, you know, was asking for it or something to that effect. And obviously... Mm. Judith was flabbergasted, I mean, just floored at that. Mm-hmm. And so that put her on her odyssey then to find out about wh- why do they believe that? How did that come up? So um, mm-hmm. she, you know, she got a doctorate uh, from Case Western Reserve University and then went about exploring this, this issue. And she came across... Um, the work of Dr. Galford Kinsey mm-hmm. and um, started digging into that and reading it and, and, you know, with no veils on her eyes. And she thought, this is, this is incredible. He thought he, you know, his book, uh, sexual behavior in the human male was in 1948. Uh, and then he had a female volume in 1953, but in the male volume, um, he was he was basically saying everything that everybody that your parents the greatest generation which was you know Judith's generation um, right. told you about their sex life and about their, about the appropriateness of various sexual practices was all a lie. You have been lied to. They in fact are promiscuous. Mm. They're engaging in all these activities, and here's the proof. And mm. in this book of his, and of course it had. Uh, people agreed with it immediately because he had a PhD and he was working at Indiana University and he went to Harvard and and he's a scientist, so he must be right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she looked behind the curtain and she, and she (laughs) saw that the, the tabulations were faulty. She saw that the, the, the conclusions were, had no basis. And so she just continued digging. Well, of course, what's in part of what was in that was a whole section on childhood sexuality. Right. And he had charts in there, and, you, and these are in the book. There, I believe it's at page one eighty to one eighty five of, of his book are charts where he he showed that he uh, that they had gathered sexual histories on on children as young as as two months old as to how right. often they had a, a quote-unquote orgasm. You have to bleep that, but that's what it said. Mm. And, she, hmm. and, and, and any thinking person looking at that would go, 
my word. They were abusing right. children. How could you give it this information a- otherwise? Well, and, and and you know, and we're and we're again, uh, um, uh, we're talking with Mary McAllister, and I'm I'm looking right now at the website for your work, Child and Parental Rights Campaign, which yes. is child parents ch- childparentrights.org. Um, what Judith Reisman did was put was did, did was push back on the conventional wisdom. You know, as you point out, she went and yes. got her PhD at Case Western. She said, "Wait a second, I'm hearing this conventional wisdom," and she empowered a whole bunch of people like you and others and all of the many Phyllis yes. Schlafly's folks to say, "Hey, we're, we're not going to take this." Um, and and right Right now, right. let me just say, child and parental rights. I, I, want, I don't want to run out of time. That um, is focused, especially on uh, a, def- a nonprofit uh, law firm defending parents' rights to shield their children from the harms of gender identity ideology. I guess one thing I want to ask yeah. you, and, I, and so I only have about a minute and a half. Judith sent wow. so many people like you into this work and others, but it feels like I used to say this to Phyllis Schlafly: we lost, we seem to lose more ground than we ever make up, and 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 that's one thing. Like you feel like you're beleaguered. The second thing is, please give me a, a, a thumbnail on her death because. Because there's a wrinkle to this and the sort of COVID thing that's important. But I'm sorry, we're going to run out of time. But give me a, a quick reactions, please. Um, well, it, it was very sudden. I mean, she was almost 86. She was a few days shy of being 86. She, she mm-hmm. um, it was very sudden. Uh, her daughter found her sitting at her desk, which none of us are surprised about. Um, <laughs> and apparently yeah. she had a stroke. Um, and she had had a stroke eight or nine years ago. And she had had a blood disorder and, and that kind of thing. Uh, now she she did have a, you know a, a double dose of one of the COVID vaccines. Don't know which one. Um, and and so obviously there's rumors speculating about the cause of her death. But the cause of her death was a stroke. Hmm. Uh, and which, what was the underlying cause of that? Well, it could have been that she had one before. It could have been her blood disorder. Uh, Stress. It could have been a blood clot from some other cause. We don't know, but it was just a very hmm. sudden, uh, you know, it, which which she wanted. She certainly didn't want to to uh, linger, uh, you know, in pain or or be um, mentally. She was mentally right to the end. I mean, she was on phone calls with her students. She was still a full time professor hmm. at Liberty. She was, you know, so she hmm. was on phone calls with students and emailing people. Um, so, and that's exactly what she hmm. wanted. I mean, she wanted to be working right to, right till the end, until God called her home. So... Um, well, well, I've got to, unfortunately, I've got to wrap us up because I'm running out of time. But Mary McAllister, we'll put it up on social media. Thank you. Judith Reisman, what a life uh, she led and so much uh, good she did. Thank you. I'm sorry to run out of time, but we've got to go to a break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Many colleges permit free speech only in special free speech zones, which can cover less than 1% of the campus. At Indiana University Southeast, which is taxpayer-funded, students wishing to express their opinions are permitted to do so only within the university's free speech zone that occupies less than 1% of the campus and is much too small to accommodate very many students. But even if they are in the zone, students may speak freely only if they have submitted an application form at least five days in advance. That's unfortunate for students who may want to comment on the weather but did not plan to do so five days in advance. 
The students must have difficulty partaking in classroom discussions and completing homework assignments while unable to express opinions. American taxpayers should not be funding this anti-educational suppression. Washington State University, which receives millions of taxpayer dollars, has a speech code declaring that speech that is injurious or potentially injurious to a person's emotional well-being is subject to disciplinary action. That speech code could be used to punish students who quote the Bible. It could be used to punish students who criticize other students' academic arguments. The University of Texas at San Antonio, also tax-funded, has a speech code stating that anonymous publications are prohibited, but some of America's greatest writings have been anonymous, such as Thomas Paine's Common Sense and the first edition of Edgar Allan Poe's first collection of poems. By banning anonymous publications, the university is using taxpayer money to stifle important ideas. College is supposed to provide an environment for students to grow intellectually. Speech codes destroy that environment and defeat the purpose of having universities. Universities should not be censoring the conservative talk of their students. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. On college campuses and social media, in boardrooms and the public square, conservative voices are being silenced. What happened to free speech or to the First Amendment? At phyllisschlafly.com, we're still listening, so let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for joining us, and come back again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Some great interviews again today. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com to uh, go ahead and uh, listen again to those interviews you like there and some of the others. I had a nice conversation with one of our listeners about that book, Old Abe, Old Abe by John Cribbs, uh, which is published by Republic Book Publishers. It's a great book, and one of you listeners have heard me talk about it a couple times and sent me a text, said you bought it yourself and enjoyed it, so good for you. Uh, we're always grateful to have uh, authors on and talk about different things. Okay, let me finish by giving you a little bit of a contrast, right? Contrast is important in lots of things. It's a way to tell whether you really like something. You know, if you see something next to it, you can tell. Um, I don't know, food sometimes. You can compare different types of food. I won't. I, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I do remember the experience of the first time I had. I always grew up. And we had London broil. London broil is a cut of beef that's a little cheaper. If you don't know that, it's actually a lot cheaper, and it's very nice if you cut it well and you have a good uh, you have a good uh, chef. And my father was a good cook on the grill. You can have a London broil; it's beautiful piece of meat. But I remember distinctly having a ribeye and saying to my dad, boy, oh boy, that ribeye was something. And the reason, of course, is it's got a lot more fat in it, a lot more flavor. And uh, but contrast, right? Contrast. So here's a contrast to think about. And let me, I set, I set up the title for this segment. Uh, I said from Jimmy Carter to Joe Biden, uh, and, and, uh, and I, and Jimmy Carter, Joe Biden, a lot of people are doing that. And you may think I'm going to talk about the gas lines. You may talk about the, uh, think about the, uh, the Iranians want to get, uh, more money so that they can. Uh, help the uh, the the uh, terrorists around the world, and that's you know. So we could trace that, right, Jimmy Carter. But here's what I want. I, I actually the title I originally started was from Jimmy Carter to Joe Biden. 
from malaise to ransomware. And here's what I mean by that. Once the world starts to see and feel what kind of leader you have, especially in the modern era where they can see it and feel it based on, you know, the the, the television reporting and the coverage, they just act a different way. So in the 70s, late 70s, after the Republicans had such a mess, I mean, Nixon was a mess and, and, and Ford loses. And then you get to the point, though, where you have Carter in. The Democrats, win, Carter wins out of nowhere. You know, a, a, a governor of a, of a you know, medium-sized state, had been a Naval Academy grad, an engineer. You know, not a dumb guy, by all accounts. And he becomes president. And pretty quickly, the world thought he seemed sort of not so strong. He was telling people in the oil crisis, don't worry about the oil crisis. Go ahead and get an extra sweater. And after you get your extra sweater, you know, you'll be a little turned down the turn down the heat, make it a little colder in your place. But put that sweater on. And he talked. Remember, he gave a speech and I, I only saw it in retrospect. I was, I was eight years old or whatever. Gave a speech talking about malaise, how malaise had seized America. And pretty quickly, you had a sense of the kind of guy he was. And so did the world. And the Iranians took the Iranian hostages, and for the last year and 15 or 20 days, they held hostages, and they wouldn't really do anything. We couldn't get them back. I mean, it was a mess. But it was the contrast. Then, then came Reagan. And Reagan in the campaign was perceived as a strong, macho guy, right? So there's a, there's a, now all the way forward to Biden. You got Biden, who doesn't seem strong on his feet. Whatever you say about his, his health or his mental acuity, he just doesn't seem like a strong guy. Seems like most of the decisions that are being made are made by, I don't know, his staff, his chief of staff, Susan Rice. I don't know who it is, but it doesn't feel like a Biden, right? It feels like an administration. And so the world's looking at that. And the Iranians are thinking, oh, he's going to come back into the deal because he wants to prove that Obama was right in giving us all that money. And the word is they're going to unfreeze a bunch of more money. And the Iranians are like, this is great. And meanwhile, the world is watching. And so if Jimmy Carter gave a malaise speech, here's Biden looking, you know, sort of slow at the lead, at the best and not being very forceful. And now there's these bad actors who have done ransomware, which is such a modern thing. It's, you know, if there were pirates in the old days, they would have, you know, stole your your ship and then held it at ransom. Now there's ransomware where whatever, whoever these people are. They hack into your system and they say, I won't give you access to your system back if you don't pay me. And so we go from the malaise speech to ransomware. The answer from the White House is, oh, independent businesses, you know, it's a pipeline that controls much of the gasoline and, and the fuel for the eastern seaboard. That's the, what's been hacked and is uh, being held ransom. Oh, private companies will deal with it themselves. That's what the Biden administration said. Feels like some malaise. And in, 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 the, in the Middle East, we got, you know, Israel and the Palestinians exchanging rocket fire and people dying. We got the border being overrun and nobody has an answer. You know, at a certain point, you say to yourself, it sure looks like chaos is what they prefer, not, uh, you know, not, not order. But my point here is you take yourself and go from you go from the K, you go from the malaise of Carter to the ransomware of Biden and the sort of, you know, the not very strong, not very energetic. And here's the real contrast. Picture what it would have been like if Donald Trump was in the White House, if he was still president. How do you think Donald Trump would have handled the idea of ransomware, you know, absolutely, you know, freezing the economy for, I don't know, a couple of days. Maybe it's being resolved. It seems like, you know, there were lines in Virginia where I live. There were lines in Virginia for gas, but it sort of dissipated already, I think. Maybe it's going to come whipping back. 
But don't you think that Donald Trump would have said something like, you know, you don't want to try that ransomware, guys? You might want to give us back the codes pretty quick because this isn't funny. And don't you think he might have? And don't you think the contrast, they would have just thought, uh-oh, what is that guy going to do? He, he, he's Trump. He doesn't seem like he's always sort of predictable. He certainly seems like he doesn't want to be messed with. I mean, again, you don't have to like everything he did, but you sort of got that sense. Don't you think that people knew that the support of Israel from from uh, from Trump was so significant that they wouldn't have tried some of this, some of what's going on? The point is, in the world, people see, especially this modern era, they see quickly a sort of sense of who's in charge and what they're like. And they make decisions about how they're going to act based on that. That seems pretty clear to me. It seems pretty obvious. And it seems uh, pretty scary. Let's be honest. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. All right, everybody, I want to finish up, though, and say thank you to Noah, our great technical director. He's got a birthday on Saturday. So if uh, Noah Dingley at the great uh, Answer San Diego, if you get a chance and you hear this, uh, so wish him well. Say a prayer for him. Great guy and very, very great, very great leader and a uh, great force inside the uh, the Answer San Diego and radio in general. So thank you, Noah, for all you do. Happy birthday getting ahead of it. And also thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. Thank you for listening. We Don't forget, check ProAmericaReport.com. We'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin on the Pro America Report. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego.